This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome again, uh, brothers and sisters, wherever you are in the in the podcast land, to Christchurch Jerusalem, uh, Wednesday night here. And we are once again gathering together from around the world to wrestle and study with the last words of Moses. We are in Deuteronomy 23. Uh, we have been um, discussing, debating, wrestling, studying uh, Moses's final speech to the people of Israel as they are about to cross the Jordan and enter the land of Israel. Uh, Moses is setting up um, an ideal community, and, uh, and, and because all Scripture is God-breathed, we take this pattern, these ideals, and we see how we, how, how, how they relate to us, um, also known as the people of God. So we acknowledge the Lord's presence, and we do so by, uh, through, through prayer. So let us bow our heads. Sharon. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melecha Olam. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. Thank you, great mystery, that you are awesome and wonderful. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. Amen. Thank you, Creator, that you created us all wonderful and beautiful in your image. Thank you, Creator, that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that the spirit that lives in us raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So we ask you, Creator, that you would cause us to live and walk in that reality, that thou, you would help us to make that a reality in our lives. We ins invite now your spirit of inspiration and revelation to overwhelm us, Lord. Open the eyes of our understanding. Keep our mouths closed when they should be closed. Keep our eyes and our ears open, Creator. Thank you for Aaron. Thank you for his dedication, his perseverance, and his love for you, Lord. We um, ask a blessing upon him and his family that you would enlarge the borders of his tents. We pray for CMJ also, Lord, that you would continue to bless them, help them too, Lord, to bless your people and advance the kingdom. Thank you now for answering prayer. Help us on our healing journey. And we thank you in advance for good reports as we commit all this into your hands in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Hi, hi. Amen. Great prayer. Thank you very much for starting us off there. And um, at the end of this study, for those that would like an update on our uh, newest brother, Mordecai, um, I'll stop the recording and then we can have a little chat about him because uh, lots of things are moving in that direction. Okay. But first, <clears throat> we need to give a, um, a summary of our study, um, just to put it, keep it all into perspective, of, uh, of, of the last couple of uh, verses of Deuteronomy 22, um, which we did two weeks ago, because our previous st study was in, um, uh, in Hanukkah. Oh, yes, that's right. I need to mute people. Yeah. All right. So mute all. Awesome. You're now all muted. Um, however, when if you would like to participate, and please do, because <laughs> uh, um, I'm not in, in, here by myself, and I also have a pen to record our discussion and learn something, because you also all have the Holy Spirit. Um, so I will read <clears throat> a 
our summary from last two weeks ago, which was largely about um, laws concerning sexual immorality. And we discussed that virginity was important in the ancient world. The importance of chastity is not found among our society any longer. We have become accustomed to unrestrained sexual practice, legalized prostitution, and pornography. And in a modern society that proclaims that its values of equal opportunities and rights for women, we have instead, though shackle, uh, through our unshackling of morality, actually enhanced their roles, that is women's roles, as sex objects. So we have just thought that we would free them, but by lowering our, our uh, rules, we have actually made them more, more as sexual objects. Our modern society has such low expectations of sexual behaviour, but the people of God are not to be like this. Virginity was highly valued and women could not be proper, poorly treated as sex objects. A husband who took a disliking to his wife could not divorce her without proof that she was not a known virgin on her wedding night. The courts of Israel, run by the priesthood, stood to defend the honour of the woman. Should the woman find disfavour with her husband, she still remained under his protection, care and support. These Israelite values stood in contrast to the culture of the ancient world, and our own attitudes to the present-day morality should also stand counterculture. Moses is communicating an ideal society. Now, perhaps this society was never going to be realised, but that's not actually the point. The point is that the society will reflect the characteristics of God and his desire for socially, psychologically, and spiritually healthy people. In this society, there will be no adultery. Hence, the death penalty is ascribed for trespassers. The society remains stable because it is underpinned by a stable family structure. The central elements of the family, therefore, needed to be guarded and protected. Paul chastised the community in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 2, with inappropriate sexual relationships within families. The people of God, be they Israel or the Commonwealth of Israel, are to be a holy people. Holiness is a practical lifestyle and not purely something theological. Moses reminds the people to have a healthy, reverent fear of heaven. Purity was a hallmark of the society, and that was linked with honesty and truth. Sin was something to be purged from the community. While the book of Deuteronomy can often prescribe violent punishment for offenders, Jewish exegesis notes that very often this was actually rarely enforced into action. The example of King David is fitting in that it reveals that a repentant character can starve off capital punishment in some instances. Cain murders Abel and is protected by a mark from God from those that were seeking justifiable vengeance. The mercy of God can triumph over judgment, and this is quoted in the epistle of James. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus, for they shall also obtain 
mercy. We still need to seek to attain to the ideal community in lowering our standards, in succumbing to the deceit of the enemy that says we will always fail, we have failed to purge sin from our communities. Many communities no longer call sin to be sin, and thus the gospel is completely watered down and without power. If there is no sin, there is no need for a saviour. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for doctrine. And so here, Moses reminds us through ancient words of what an ideal community should be. God's ideals do not remove us from punishment or mercy. God's ideals remain God's ideals. And, uh, and so there's a rough summary of our discussion from these laws of Moses, which seem a little perhaps barbaric, but when we looked at the intention of the heart, we discovered the ideal character of God that would actually be a blessing to the world and, uh, and would reveal a part of uh, who, God, who God was. And while we admitted we cannot always live up to that ideal, they still remain God's ideals and the standard we should all subscribe to. All right, so let's have a look at another group of God's ideals and then see how we can apply these, uh, these things to us today. All right. Um, so Deuteronomy chapter 23. Those excluded from the assembly. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were sojourners in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. When you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from doing evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. Shall not come inside the camp, but when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, and as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it, and you shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you'll dig a hole with it and turn it back and cover up your excrement, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you, 
He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. None of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interests on money, interests on food, interests on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. You'll be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is passed from your lips. You have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you will not put any into your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not pass a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Okay. So isn't that a very interesting passage full of things that don't seem to apply to any of us today? And you may think, I wonder why this is here in, in, in sacred scripture. But let's go because it is sacred scripture and all scripture is God-breathed. So on a surface reading, what does this seem like to you? Does this seem, is there anything here that's relevant uh, or, yes. or go for it. What is it, brother? My first question is, why would you say that it's not relevant for us today? What makes you say that? Okay. I guess because, well, I don't, but um, some everything people... I read, I think of today's world, everything. Almost. Yeah. Okay. So particularly when here we are uh, as, as believers, and we often like to portray God as a God of love and he's, he loves everybody and everyone will be happy and everyone will be united. And then you turn around to a chapter that actually excludes people. You think, hang on a second, why? And if, we're, if we're supposed to be welcoming everybody, why is there some people that we need to, to exclude, particularly people who seem like weak? Um, and, uh, and so it's an interesting uh, tension. But you know me, Roddy, as soon as there's tension, that's the time to jump in and, yeah. and have some fun. Yeah, it is. Yep. Okay. Yes. Is there anything else from the, uh, the chapter that uh, stood out for anybody? Or shall we, shall we leap right in and, and begin? Aaron, uh, just a, a question here, especially verse number two. There's two things I want to talk about. Verse number two. This is an interesting way. How could you apply this to the church today? Because there are people who do not have more than one parent, for example, right? right? Yep. Born out of marriage. And the last, for me, the last verse is very much the disciples walking through the field plucking corn. So they're simply obeying the law. Yeah, actually, yes. When, um, when in, the, in that uh, encounter in the Gospels, the Pharisees do not... Uh, charge them for plucking grain because they're legally allowed, right? They're not. What they were charged with was um, when you 
when you get the grain, you, you rub it to get rid of the chaff. And so you actually just have the kernel. They were saying that that was work. And, uh, and that was their, their charge. But they certainly couldn't, because of this verse, say that the disciples were stealing and they weren't allowed to take, to take grain. Yeah. Um, I have a, a comment. The, um, the thing that strikes me about this is some of these things, no one knows if you do them properly or not, but you yourself, you know. Right. I'm thinking, I look at the verse, I think it's 10, where there's an unclean emission in the night or whatever. But So he has to declare himself unclean. I'm assuming that no one else knows what's going on. But there are certain things here that it's just between you and the Almighty, hmm. if you follow these rules or not. So that, that just sort of struck me. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah, there's actually quite a, a bit of personal uh, accountability to not mm -hmm. just to God, but to the community that you're a part of. But then, Aaron, on, on that same question, surely the Lord God would know. And if you were back in the camp back in those days, something would happen. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And it says that he's walking through the camps. Yeah. So the, I think the awareness of the presence and the closeness of the Almighty is a lot more you know, evident in people's minds here or more than we think of today. Like you said, our society is in quite a different place. It is, even though us as a believer community, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present in us right now. Yes, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to say that everybody here would say yes. And yet we seem to not act as though we truly actually acknowledge how close he is. Um, here, they, the, the people of Israel have a very, um, uh, a very tangible way to acknowledge that the Lord their God is present because they actually have a movable tabernacle. They have a movable um, Ark of the Covenant that can go with them into battle. So when they actually do move out to war and they take the Ark with them, then it's got, it's got a tent and it's got a series of priests and Levites and it's got a very tangible physical presence. So, you know, as they're walking around the camp, they can say, our God is right here. And, uh, and that should spur them to a certain form of behavior. Um, but we believe that our God is incredibly close and in our community all the time. And yet that doesn't seem to modify our behavior. Um, and that is a very interesting thought. And perhaps, perhaps that's actually the intention of what Moses is, is getting at. Um, but, yeah, we can wrestle those things in, in a minute. Is there anything else that stands out for anybody? Aaron, sorry, one more question. Surely then we've lost holiness. Possibly. And uh, one thing I've noticed with our brother David Plaguey is that the last couple of years he's really changed his preaching to focus on let's get back to holiness. Um, uh, our community needs to do its best to uh, have a holy life that, and in so doing, um, not because being holy in and of itself is the end goal, but to acknowledge that we lead a holy life because we actually believe that a holy God is living and present within us and within our community. And by acknowledging that, uh, you, would, you, you do so by reflecting a holy night. Yes, holiness is a key and something that our community, has, society has lost because the cultural world that we live in today wouldn't know what holiness was if it came and bit them on the bum. 
it, it hasn't got a clue. And it's, that's actually a real shame because we as a community, have, uh, we as a church, we as the, as the people of God, don't seem to have a voice anymore to be able to tell people what is holy and what is not holy. Uh, and if we do, we are, we are called haters, and, uh, which is sad, isn't it? <laughs> that's not what we're saying, but that is the way, that is the charge that, that comes out against us. Okay, so looking at, oh, I'll just describe one thing. When I read this text uh, during, the, during the week, um, I was struck by, just personally, as you read and you think, oh, how does that relate to, uh, to, to the New Testament uh, in, in the light of the Messiah? Um, this idea of you shall not give up a master's slave who has escaped. Um, what's the New Testament verse which seems to go against this on a surface level? Anyone? Can think of it? It's the book of Philemon. What does Paul tell Onesimus to do? Does anyone know? To go, to go, to go back, back, yes. Yeah, go back. But what does this text say? He got away. He's like, okay, he's fine. Let, don't, don't, don't send him back. I was like, okay, Paul. You're a good Jew. What, are you, what does this verse to you mean? And, uh, and, and what does it mean uh, for a believer um, to be a servant or an indentured servant or even just somebody who makes, you know, coffee in a barista and, and serves their boss? I mean, what does that mean? So I, I was struck by some of those thoughts when I was reading um, the text. Okay, so let's have a look. All right, beginning. We'll talk about when we get there. I, I think we have to discuss that more. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think that Paul really went against it, but we'll talk about it. No, I don't think Paul went against it, of course, either. He can't, have, because he, he, he defends himself in other books by saying, you know, vis a vis the Torah, I'm, you know, above reproach. Uh, and so. We have to break it down and look and see what Paul said, did, and compared to this. That's right. As soon as I like, as soon as you see tension, that's when you leap in and go, hey, what's going on? And uh, that's where the good learning is, and that's often where you find God. All right. All right, I'll be quiet. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay, starting at verse 1 of 23. Here we go. Let's kick some people out of the congregation. All right. Um, uh, no one, okay, who uh, has suffered some physical injury of a nasty kind, mostly relating to males here, um, or become eunuchs, cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, what does that mean, do you think? I know what it seems to read in our English, but what do you think it means uh, that you can't enter the assembly of the Lord? Any ideas? We have other scripture that talks about uh, deformity. If they're deformed, they're not a, not supposed to come into the uh, tabernacle. That is correct. The, um, the priests of God, those that serve in the tabernacle as representatives of God, can't have physical defects. So, um, you know, the but priests yeah, and the Levites. human inflicted uh, type of uh, damage inflicted by somebody else. Right. This seems to be self-inflicted, but uh, definitely uh, those that had... Um, 
physical deformities could not serve and represent God. And, and you know, as for, for, for on one level, we sort of, you know, sigh heavily and we say, oh, that, that doesn't seem very fair. Um, that doesn't seem very nice. Um, surely God loves them, but that's actually not the point. It doesn't say that God hates them. It's that you got to look at on another level, which says, if God is perfect, pure, and holy, and he wants his priests to reflect his character of perfect, pure, and holy, then they have to look perfect, pure, and holy. Imagine if the entire temple in Jerusalem was staffed by everybody in wheelchairs and the uh, you went to go visit the temple and every single priest was in crutches, wheelchairs, missing arms and legs. What would you think God was like? I shall worship God. God seems to have a priesthood that looks pretty beat up. Um, the, yep, that, and, and so obviously uh, that was not the image that God wanted presented to the world. And so. Is he just talking about priests here? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Here, we're not sure who, what he's talking about, but um, the, 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 the Peshat, the, the literal sort of meaning is no one who's a eunuch can enter the assembly of the Lord, except you and I know somebody who did. Okay. Daniel was a eunuch. And also, doesn't, doesn't Isaiah say that the eunuchs will be more than sons to him? Correct, it does. You are correct. Oh, Yes, and that, that, that is um, in Isaiah 56. So here you have Moses setting up an ideal. Let's remember this is an ideal community. This is the way we would like to be able to represent and portray our society to God. Moses, actually, in the last couple of chapters, is going to, after saying all of these beautiful things and giving all of these fantastic laws about how and commands about how you're supposed to serve the Lord when you get into the land, he's going to turn around and say, you're doomed to failure. And, and we'll, have to, we'll have to wrestle with that when we get to that, those verses. They're in, they're in chapters 32, 33, where he says, when I die, you're all going to just forget God. And you go like, oh, my gosh, how pessimistic is that? So why would you bother giving us this big speech? Um, but, again, this is the God's ideal. Uh, but, yes, in Isaiah 56, okay, Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, it reads, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Right? So because the guy is not Jewish, Isaiah the prophet is saying that doesn't matter. The non-Jews will become part of the people of God. And let not the eunuch say, Oh, my gosh, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Oh, that's interesting. Who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, a Yad Vashem. Better than sons and daughters. In fact, this is where you get the, the term Yad Vashem. 
Okay, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps my Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. And so here the prophet seems to say that I know what Moses is saying. I know that uh, God is meant to be holy, pure, and uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And so, you know, he is life, so don't bring death into his presence. You know what the ideal is? However, the prophet says um, that the Lord also says, I haven't forgotten that. And if you do acknowledge my kingship, and if you do love my Sabbath, and if you do love the gifts that I've given, then you are most welcome into the people of Israel. So who's a very... Uh, for in the in the New Testament, who's an interesting eunuch who shows up in the temple? Ethiopian. Correct. So you have an Ethiopian foreigner and a eunuch. So he's both. And he has gone to Jerusalem in the book of Acts, chapter 8, and he has worshipped the Lord for, we presume, Passover and Shavuot. And then he's on his way back. And uh, Philip meets him. And what scroll is he reading? He's reading, he's reading the one that says he's allowed to come. He's, uh, he's reading the Isaiah that says he has joined himself to the people. He doesn't understand everything that's in the book. Uh, but he's got some pretty good verses that are good for him. And it just so happens that uh, when he's reading, he's actually reading the part of the scroll that relates to the Messiah. And, uh, and Philip helps him along the way, and he joins the household of faith in even a more um, important way. Well, uh, eventually, just like our salvation, God gives us our salvation. For He just gives it to us. It's, it's by faith. He will also... If we accept this, he will give everyone a different type of being, body, physically, spirit afterwards. Yeah. It's a it's a looking forward type of concept. Yeah. So For here you have an ideal, which even though it's an ideal, I mean, God doesn't want anyone for these things to happen to them, but they do. They're temporary. Yeah, they're temporary. And... Uh, and, and God in the prophets also says, I still love these guys. And these guys are still valid and, 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 and they still love me. Um, but however, I also have an ideal. So you need to hold two things within tension. God is pure. He is life. And he doesn't want death to enter into, into his presence. And he wants his priests and those that serve him to look uh, and reflect his character. And that's actually when we want to take that model into our lives, then, oh, my gosh, brothers and sisters, you and I have to reflect uh, a pure and holy characteristic of God. Uh, well, that seems to be a rather high ideal. But, again, it is the ideal, and it is what we continue to strive for as we run the race and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But uh, on the practical level, eunuchs, are not excluded from worshipping the Lord. So you have characters like Daniel, and you have characters like the Ethiopian eunuch. You have lepers. You have all kinds of people who, uh, while being shunned, uh, God, in fact, does not shun them at all. Uh, because, uh, as you know from, from the book of Daniel, 
even though he has been castrated by uh, these pagan kings, he continues to serve the Lord. He continues to receive dreams and visions. He continues to talk to angels. And he continues, not only in daily prayer, but to serve the very people who hurt him um, wholeheartedly. He never once promotes a rebellion, which is an interesting characteristic of Daniel. All right. Somebody else who's not forbidden, who's forbidden from entering the assembly. Uh, and there was a discussion in, in a lot of the um, commentaries that I investigated for this, uh, particularly Jewish commentaries. They were discussing what does it mean to enter the assembly of the Lord? And they were many of them, which I think were taking it out of context, but they were saying uh, this actually just refers to uh, judgment courts, not the actual temple itself. Um, I don't know how they get that way, but that's, that was one, one way that they kept trying to get around this verse, uh, that God would, would be excluding people. So here is somebody else who's forbidden. Um, the one born of a forbidden union, okay, may not enter the assembly of the Lord, to, even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants. Okay, so what again, why would an illegitimate birth um, not be part of the characteristic of God. Any thoughts? Aaron, first, did they try to redefine assembly? They did. They were saying that this is Jewish commentaries and old ones, not not like even the modern ones as well. We're talking old, old uh, commentaries, so 600, 700 years late, late uh, Babylonian Talmud, um, saying that uh, assembly of the Lord in this verse meant uh, courts that they would say that judges and things like that, but going into worship the Lord, no, that was fine. Um, I didn't agree with the way that they went about it. I liked their concept. Okay, they were doing their best to try and and make um, people who are hurting have the ability to come before God, which is great. Um, however, prophets already say that the prophets already tell us the heart of God. Uh, as well. So anyway, that's that's interesting how that they did that. So illegitimate birth, guys. Why would God be so concerned about illegitimate birth? Aaron, Aaron, does this uh, sort of come from the times of Noah, where Noah was found perfect in his generations? The Lord was ensuring a perfect generation, a perfect line or lineage, all the way through to Messiah. At that point, you couldn't have somebody that was not like that, perhaps. Yet part of this tension could be that God is indeed preserving a perfect lineage. Well, that's not that's not true. Rahab wasn't Rahab part of the lineage? Yeah, right. Prostitution's out in this chapter. Yeah, and so so name another prostitute that's in the lineage of Messiah. Tamar, right? You know, Tamar and Judah. How does Judah? get to become part of the messianic line. Not because of Judah. He wasn't doing his job, right? But this is not, it's not about illegitimate stuff. It's, it's, it's about a, a perfect lineage, isn't it? Yeah, and, right. the, and Tamar was more righteous than Judah, and she wasn't a prostitute. She just posed as one. Right. So yeah, yeah, there's a there's a debate as to actually what her, her, her function was. Um, but it is interesting that what... Like just like at the beginning, you know, eunuchs can't come into the into the fold. The prophets turn around and say, actually, yes, they can. And uh, and while here it says no foreigner can enter the union of the Lord, 
in that tension, we end up with lots of foreigners joining the house of Israel. And, uh, you know, Joseph, uh, Jacob loses a son, Joseph, but he gains three back. He gets Joseph back and two half-castes, Ephraim and Manasseh, whom he turns around and says, these are tribes. They're my sons, and they become full tribes. But they're not. They're half-castes. They're half-Egyptians. Uh, but, yep, they're, they're in and considered the people of God. And it's in that tension that we actually discover part of the character and heart of the Lord. Erin, if you look at it from a spiritual level, could not the law be implying that if to come into his kingdom, we can't be, we have to be born again. We have mm -hmm. to, we, we can't be of a foreigner, so coming through another way other than Christ. So it's all, it all has a very spiritual understanding of what the Lord is saying, that it's only legitimately born again through Christ, through, the, through his seed, through his seed alone, that we can come into this kingdom. Uh, that is on a, on a that doesn't negate Peshat at all. So that is a perfect way to spiritually apply that text too. Well done, Vida. You're really good at this. I th I think it's a good idea what is being laid out here because I think about the United States and if we would have followed some of these principles, we wouldn't have you know the tension between people whose ideals are not the founding fathers' ideals. You know, if we right. would have kept out those of other nations who are, you know, of different religions and have different, you know, ideas of what should and shouldn't be done. Yeah, there is, you know, that because of the tension, you will always be able to find parts of the story that actually apply um, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a positive and a negative way. And so keeping the foreigner at bay, um, in particular, say, um, what would be a classic example, not just America today, France, right, with their high Muslim population that refuses to embrace anything to do with French Republic and, uh, and causes tensions within their, within their society, resulting in horrific murders, right, in, in amongst their people. Um, uh, the, uh, oh, the, the discussion is... Um, Forbidden, illegitimate unions. Okay, so the, the, the Hebrew is unclear as to whether we're referring, cha in chapter 2, uh, verse 2, whether we are referring to forbidden marriages or children that are illegitimate, okay? That is um, people who are born out of wedlock, people who are uh, descendants from rape victims, um, uh, and also inappropriate marriages where we marry pagans, they remain pagans, and we raise our kids as pagans. Um, these kinds of ideas are excluded from the Lord. Yeah, you've got to, and there's a long list of who you can and who you cannot uh, marry in uh, Leviticus 18. So continuing in, in verses 3 to 6, we end up with a particular group of people now that are forbidden. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Oof. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way, and they came out of Egypt, uh, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Belor, Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. And you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Ooh, 
tough verses there. But yes, there you go. So when we think about Ammon and Moab, uh, what's the original story we are, we, we, that comes to mind? Aaron, sorry, before you, you head on there, I just want to uh, pose a possibility. Uh, speaking of Rahab being, being a harlot, for example, uh, we, speak, we speak unto the 10th generation, and, and Lord Jesus was after the 10th generation. Mm-hmm. So the lineage was actually maintained perfectly. Right. Oh, yeah. He gets, he gets a, a, a pass on that. Absolutely. What so, do you guys mean that the lineage is maintained perfectly? Because, like, unspiritual people are involved in the... I mean, they're spiritual giants, but they, they have issues or have a background, right? Oh, yeah. They've all got issues. Don't worry about that. No, the, the, the foreigners, um, even though it doesn't say that they converted... But it is assumed, and we have some, and lots of midrash that Rachav adopts the faith of, of the people of God. And you would probably say yes, she does, and we would also say obviously Ruth does, um, and, uh, and 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 that. And so they start out as foreigners, but then they become Jews themselves. Their biology, that is their DNA, obviously doesn't change. They're still bringing in a different DNA strand into the Jewish people, but they're not illegitimate in the effect that they then marry and, uh, and conduct their business according to the rules. Okay, you mean like a Jewish line, like a line of David. Correct. It is a, it's, even though it's got Gentiles joining in, it still is a pure line according to any uh, uh, Jewish halakha. Not rabbinic because we haven't got rabbis at the time of uh, King David. That they're very much, much, much later. But according to Jewish halacha, it's definitely a pure line. Okay, guys. So you hear the words Ammon and Moab. If you were Jewish and Moses has just stood on a rock and yelled out Ammon and Moab, who do you think of in terms of sacred history? Lot and his daughters. Yes, yes, indeed. Genesis nineteen. And uh, the story of Lot is a very interesting one. So what happens to our little friend Lot? Anyone know? Anyone give a pre-say? Um, basically, Sodom and Gomorrah, he's warned, he runs, his wife uh, is quite salty at the beginning, becomes salt, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then his daughters think they're the last people on earth, so they get him drunk and have children with him. Yes, they... They are, they are taken, they escape. The angels uh, tell them to flee. So you think, okay, we're doing well. We have um, rescued Lot. But then we make an incredible blunder. Instead of fleeing to safety and continuing to look for perhaps, you know, cousin, cousin Abraham uh, or anything like that or any other normal people, we decide to hide in a cave and think, woe is us, the entire world has just been destroyed uh, and we go into, you know, survivalist mentality, um, and we and then we create incest, and so we, which has never been the plan of God, and so these the the nations that come uh, from them end up becoming uh, a rather thorn and a snare to the people of God, and uh, Ammon and Moab here they are told that they are not allowed to enter the assembly. And uh, until the 10th generation. Uh, so how did Ruth get in? Any ideas? 
Correct. Bernardo's made a, made a little comment in there. Contrary to rabbinic <laughs> teaching of being Jewish only by having a Jewish mother, the line is paternal. That is that is true. That is the biblical model. Is that it's paternal? They've switched uh, in the in the in the in the Middle Ages, and um, and they acknowledge that. Okay, they 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 uh, they admit they don't change, but they admit it. So, okay, guys, how does Ruth get in through the through the incestuous relationship? With uh, Lot and the and the daughters, as well as one of Solomon's wives. One of them? Oh my gosh! Yeah, good. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, Moab. Okay. The uh, in Hebrew, it's uh, Moavim, so it's male. And so, what's uh, what's Ruth? A Moabite. Moaviah, female. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jewish exegesis even gets this deep. They'll say, look, this only applies to males. This does not apply to females. Mm-hmm. That, they, will, they will literally say that in their exegesis. Okay? And uh, uh, they also have in this same passage of Moab and Ammon, Moses also brings in another character, Balaam. Now, Balaam is an interesting character because he has about four chapters in the book of Numbers dedicated to him, right? People who have four chapters usually end up with their own book, like Ruth, okay, or Jonah, right? Even Samson's got four chapters in Judges. You could easily take those four chapters out and just have the book of Samson uh, if you wanted to, okay? Wouldn't, wouldn't, dis- wouldn't take anything away from the rest of Judges. Um, and so... Balaam has an interesting little little uh, part of the story because he's not Jewish, and yet he somehow is also a prophet. And so uh, there are actually seven uh, uh, Gentile prophets in the Bible, and uh, the, the the Jewish people have found them all and named them all and given them all interesting stories. Um, but Balaam is by by most, the one who has the most uh, uh, passages, text that's actually mentioned to him, and he's even mentioned in Revelation. Okay? He even shows up as um, as as a as a uh, you don't want to listen to to Balaam, and um, and his they have a play on words on his name Bal Balaam. They they say that's um without a people so he's a he's a he's a a solo guy he's he's he never joins a people he's always alone and and um but yet he manages to talk to god and no one seems to know how he manages to do that commentaries don't jewish commentaries don't they acknowledge it they try and figure out how, how, why does God bother to talk to this evil man? Uh, yet he does. And, uh, and so he gets mentioned here along with these Moab, Moabites and Ammonites, these uh, products of incest, which go very bad. And they bring in false, they, false prophets, even though he's a true prophet, um, to try and curse the people of God. And uh, and they keep these ones away from from the holy people. So, 
how do we keep false prophets away from the holy people? Okay, we are in the Commonwealth of Israel, brothers and sisters. Part of our job uh, as, uh, is, as, as we're trying to be a holy people, trying to maintain holiness within our community, we should also do our best to uh, remove false prophets. Now, we've had some verses in the past that deal with this, but once again, just something to think about that um, uh, as part of us being a holy people, we should keep an eye on, on prophecy. But there are people who can come in to the people of Israel, Edomites and Egyptians. So why does Edom get to come in? Because Esau. Okay, Jacob and Esau. And uh, uh, there's uh, Esau and Jacob, even though it says in a verse, you know, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, that doesn't mean that God hated Esau in the way we would understand hate. It means preferred. Jacob is preferred. Esau is not as preferred, but he is still blessed because when the two met, um, instead of hatred, they were reconciled and they embraced each other and they, and, they, and they kissed. And some good Jewish art, the good Jewish art that recognizes this, uh, one of the guys that I study with, one of the rabbis that I study with, painted a picture of Jacob and Esau. And as they were hugging, he melded the clothing together so you couldn't tell where Jacob ended and where Esau ended. He said, no, this was true reconciliation. And, uh, and they didn't fight. And Esau knew 100% that Jacob was meant to come and settle in the land because Esau was in the land. But then what did he turn around and do? He willingly left and he went to another land. He went to Seir and he set up shop and he became wealthy. And God blessed him. And they made trade. And, uh, and we were told here not to abhor them. We were not to uh, uh, make war with them and these. So who's the famous Edomite that we know in the Bible who was abhorred by pretty much everybody? Herod. Yeah. <laughs> and so even though the Bible says don't abhor them, he was. <laughs> uh, isn't that just nice and ironic? Okay, so he was an Edomite uh, king, although by this stage he had actually become uh, Jewish. And Egyptians are not to be abhorred. Now, why would this verse be very poignant to the people at this time? Okay. Anyone know? Because Egyptians are there. When Israel left Egypt during the okay. Exodus, who came out with them? Egyptians. Egyptians. And so, they, so a large segment of uh, Jewish DNA is actually Egyptian DNA. Isn't that awesome? Right? Also, you have the scripture that says, Egypt, my people, is Israel, my inheritance. Correct. Ex uh, uh, Isaiah 19, God yeah. deliberately says, Egypt, you are my people. Um, the people of Egypt held and nurtured the fledgling people of God when they were small, when they numbered, no, you know, 70 people. Uh, they, they went down into Egypt and they became numerous, but they were given a land. Joseph was able to become the prince of Egypt. 
or as the as the the even the parashat of Shavua, the Torah portion of this day, Judah said to 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 Yosef, "You are like Pharaoh, right? You are you are. I'm talking to you like I'm talking to to Pharaoh. You are you are just like him, almost like you are him, even though you're not. Uh, God truly blessed uh, Israel inside Egypt and blessed Egypt because of it." And so that began, become, uh, that created a, a special relationship that doesn't go away. And uh, it's very easy to always think, because you know, we think of the last 70 years, we think of Egypt as enemies of, of uh, Israel, but they are not meant to be. And uh, so it's interesting that the first Arab nation ever to make peace with Israel was Egypt. And uh, it might not be the warmest of peace, but... It is still peace. And Wasn't what, there a temple in Egypt at one point also? There were several, but yes, there, there was a temple. There was one set up uh, on an island in Elephantine, which is in the south. And there was one set up in the west that uh, uh, when, the, when the Maccabees went bad, they, the, some nice priests uh, sauntered off to Egypt and... Um, and and um, and set up shop there. And interestingly, the largest Christian community in time Middle East is living in Egypt. Okay, and so God has preserved His truth there too, according to tradition. Uh, Mark took the gospel to Egypt, and Egyptian Coptics will never tell you their true numbers. Okay? Wow, they they officially there's something like eighteen million or something like that. But uh, they say, oh, no, we're a lot more than that, but we'll never tell you how many. So there's, there's a lot. And, um, That's uh, currently? Yeah. So um, when, because, um, because, you know, Mike Niebuhr brings a lot of Egyptians here as well. Yes. yes and if you ever get a chance to talk to them, talk to them about Egypt. And, uh, and, and the things that they're doing over there. And they acknowledge, they, they, they acknowledge we held the Messiah for a couple of years when he was a baby. You know, we, we've helped in the plan of God still to this day. And one day, according to Isaiah, we'll be there in the end. Okay. Um, we will, you know, there'll be a highway somehow. We don't know how that will work, but we believe it. And so God has a plan for these people. And he tells them right here, do not abhor them, okay? Because standing among you right now, there's a chunk, right? There's a chunk of these, these people. They're right here. They've come with you. They're going to fight your battles. They're going to settle the land. They're going to work the land. They're going to bless the land. And uh, you will not uh, uh, say nasty things about them. And God himself. Eric, yeah? That highway in Isaiah 19, verse 1. Mm-hmm. It, it's here today, uh, literally, figuratively, and spiritually. And before COVID, BC, uh, we were we were seeing just enormous amounts of the Egyptians being brought over by the Coptic priests who uh, reside at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And there are just some amazing stories that that we can share of what was happening in uh, BC before COVID. Yeah, uh, yeah, and same with Turkey. You know, yes. the end of that highway, you know, is Turkey. And we always, oh, Turkey, we hate, you know, Erdogan's a megalomaniac. True, true, true. Okay. Yet, um, how many Turks used to come to the Heritage Center? Oh, Roddy? my gosh. We were having hundreds per week whenever the travel the most, relations The most work. common Bible we used to give away 
apart from Hebrew, was Turkish. Yeah, they would always out. They take them all. Yeah, they take them all. Yeah, they're really hungry for it. And uh, so God, God, you can see God has a plan for these people. And uh, as Israel is meant to be a light to the nations, uh, He's trying to set up this uh, feeling amongst the, these people. But there were some that couldn't enter. Okay, Ammon and Moab, and false prophets. They were meant to be away from the community, um, but there were those that were meant to be brought in, and that included Gentiles. Gentiles were always part of the plan. Okay, the uh, what we today call Turkey, although that wasn't there before, and um, and and Egypt. All right. So now we move into the camp of God, and this is holiness and cleanliness, next to godliness. But let's also remember this is because the Jewish people believed, as we do to this day, that God lives within your your midst. Right. And so when you are encamped against your enemies, okay, we're engaging in war, we've got lots of rules about how we're supposed to fight battles. Keep yourself from every evil thing. So sin has consequences. Not only has consequences personally, but also has consequences nationally, right? You might lose a battle because you're sitting around sinning. If any man among you becomes unclean, okay, this is, doesn't mean it's a sin. This is now an uncleanliness issue. Uh, because of a nocturnal emission, he goes outside the camp, doesn't come back in. And when evening comes, he bathes himself in water. Okay, Maybe he just pours a bucket of water on his head or splashes himself with a towel. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but the point is water is involved. And uh, when the sun sets, he comes back in. So there is a way that God wants to restore cleanliness. Now, cleanliness, ritual cleanliness, is not sin. And it's, it's not always an easy thing for us as uh, Gentiles, some of us who are Gentiles here, to, con- to, get the, to get that concept because Jesus also engaged in ritual cleanliness. Every single time he went to the temple, he had a mikveh. Okay? And... Um, and that he had a baptism. It had nothing to do with him washing away sin. It had everything to do with him making himself holy before his holy father. And if Jesus wants to be holy before his holy father, brothers and sisters, how are we supposed to behave? I ask. You know, too often in our community, we have turned God into an unholy God who's not concerned about cleanliness, who's not concerned about holiness, who's only concerned about giving you a high five, you know, and, uh, and, and sitting with his homies. But God is a holy God. And here he mentions it. And I like the way he says it. I'm going to keep reading the passage. and I'm going to um, highlight the bit that, that, that spoke to me. Okay, so this is, uh, you shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go to it. Here we're talking about, you know, public toilets. Woohoo! You know, aren't you so glad that the Bible, you know, discusses these sorts of issues? Mm-hmm. Very deep spiritual issues. Let's, let's, let's go outside and dig a hole. So, have you got your shovel with you? Yes, I have, sir. Then please go outside, sit down, dig a hole and, uh, and cover it all up. Because the Lord, why do I do this? Verse 14. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give you to your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy. Holiness, remember, is infectious. Not only does it infect 
people to people, but it also infects places and things. We often forget that things can and places can become holy because of the people themselves, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a good lesson for us uh, to learn. Camp must be holy so that who he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Isn't that interesting? God can pay attention. God can see. God knows everything. But if he happens to see it, not very happy about it. And, uh, and so you know, we, have this, um, uh, we have this belief because we know that God walks in our midst. He lives in our communities. He lives inside us. He lives in our families. How then shall we behave? Right? Um, and, uh, and, and too often we have um, taken the holiness away, away from God. We call the Bible the Holy Bible. But where are you not allowed to take your Bible into? Toilets. Can't take the toilets. Yeah, the toilet. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's just, you know, uh, uh, our, that you, you, go in, you go into a, 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 the, this idea of going to the toilet, you know, God is a go outside the camp. And so, well, well, obviously, if I've got a city, where do I go? And so you build structures for them. That's why our toilets are usually small, usually located nowhere near the rest of the house, uh, separated usually by a door. Um, uh, we, we, you, know, you keep that stuff. Yes, I know it's completely natural, but you still keep it away. Okay. And uh, God himself, who made us and knows us completely that this was going to happen. And Jesus himself did this. But still, God is holy. And when it comes time to do something like this, you remove yourself, you get your business done, and then you come back and you join, join, join the people. Um, and so when we, you know, probably the best time not to pray is probably when you're sitting on the toilet. Okay, um, you can pray before and you can pray after, but please you know, don't make that your only time of prayer. Right? There, there is a way to, to approach uh, a holy God, just like um, uh, you probably shouldn't, you know, you know, uh, be be praying and and uh, while sitting on the couch, you know, eating potato chips in your underwear, scratching the unmentionables. Um, there are times when you are supposed to dress up and worship the Lord. If God is holy. Uh, dress with the way that we wear our clothing, with the way that we um, um, approach uh, the Lord. Uh, and so um, we have the Holy Spirit, guys. So how should we live? We should live holy lives. And it's very interesting that this verse is here. Okay. Um, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that that verse kind of emphasizes is cleanliness is next to godliness, and um, it's it's very profound because um, the way God was um, described there, in other words, it was described with the narrative of a man coming and seeing this uncleanliness, and he turns back. Now, this is the God that defends them. Then he sees the uncleanliness, and he turns back from defending them. So they are exposed <laughs> enemies, and um, if you in Africa, uh, one of the studies we've done is that 
where the place where, where you go to places or communities that are very filthy, you hear a lot of um, um, witchcraft activities around there. You know, you hear, of course, I mean, naturally, there will be a lot of sicknesses, kind of disease around those areas, and you see that they're, they're not really protected. And um, it's very important that when we consider God as holy, then we, God's people, need to be holy. It's a very profound statement, and um, it's very important. It is very important. Bernardo also mentions that Jeremiah prayed from the gutter. This is also true. However, it wasn't his personal choice. So, yeah, you can pray. You can pray in a dungeon. You can pray in a deep pit. Obviously, that, though, is not our preferred choice. You don't go to the gutter to pray when you have another option. You don't decide, I'm going to jump in a pit and pray to the Lord because he'll just hear me better. Um, uh, you, you, You know, you... Uh, somewhere else and it is interesting sorry was that Aaron you start having a heart attack on the toilet you probably should pray anyway oh uh, yes oh absolutely when that happens yeah beseech the Lord with all might okay and uh, I'm sure he- <laughs> yeah of course that's an emergency situation of Just course like- we are talking about an, an idealized community God has ideals yeah. This is my standard. This is what I would like us all to live up to and attain. Of course he knows we're fallen creatures. Of course yeah. he knows that we're not going to be able to live up to it per se. Moses is going to turn around and say at the, end of this, at the end of this book, everything I've just said, you're going to fail. Well, thanks for the pep talk, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm going to try my hardest now. Okay? We, un- we understand uh, uh, that, but we still have this incredible ideal that, that if we can acknowledge that God is holy, then we would live holy lives if we could, or we would hopefully strive to. And, and our constantly uh, trying to acknowledge that he is holy probably is why it's in the Lord's Prayer right at the start. You know, may God's name be holy. And if God's name is holy, anything attached to God is holy. His land, his people, his word, his name, uh, his angels, everything. And that includes... You know, you know, Aaron, like the concept of um, practicing such holiness, like you mentioned, when you're in the restroom, um, that's not the appropriate place to study the scripture. I mean, I've met I've met a pastor before, and he tells me, ah, every time he goes into the toilet, he tries to take the opportunity and read some more scripture. I mean, it's uh, it's good, um, <laughs> but you know, when you look at it from um, from an Oriental point of view, from the biblical point of view. It's, 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 it's not done, but, you know, in Christianity, people feel the, 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 the grace thing, it's, it's so much of, um, gives you enough room to do a lot of things like that. For me, I see it more like um, the, the way you place God, the kind of uh, reverence you put for God. Um, yeah. you, you don't want to, I mean, you want to put your best foot forward at every time when you, when you have a special guest in your house. So also... Um, dealing with God, you want to put, bring in the best, and um, that's how we should, you know, view reaching out to God. Um, you know, a lot of people also. I mean, you see them; they say they pray while they are naked, and you look at the scripture. It says that um, when the priest is climbing the altar, he should wear a linen sachet so that it, his nakedness is not exposed, not exposed. And before the presence of God. And you tell a lot of Christians that. You can't just be naked before the Almighty God. He knows you. I mean, it's easier in and out. Yes, if you're in a 
in a in a terrible situation. Yes, you could pray. I mean, that is um, you know like praying like Jonah out of the belly of the fish. But in an ideal situation, it's not okay. But uh, you know, it's, it's a very difficult to sell it to a lot of people with very. Um, uh, I think I think we lost you there, Shimshan. Okay, all right. We will we'll continue until he gets back. Yes, indeed, brothers and sisters. What Shimshon was saying is uh, we should rem remind ourselves that as a holy people, if we truly believe that we have a holy guest, we should always manage to put our best foot forward and, uh, and, and act that way. And if all of the people of God did that, imagine what that would look like. If, uh, if a people of God actually told the world, no, actually, we really do believe in a holy God, and this is how we behave. Uh, and so we continue, okay, in verse 15, you shall not give up a master to, uh, to his master, a slave who has escaped from his master to you. Ooh, he will dwell with you in your midst in the place where he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him shall not wrong him. Okay. Well, that seems to go against uh, what I read in uh, uh, Philemon with Onesimus. All right, guys. So here we have some tension. Slaves. We already have had previous rules about what to do with slaves. What do we have to do with slaves? In a nutshell. Treat them fairly. One, treat them fairly. And what else do we do with them? You, you only hold it for so long, then you set them free, right? Correct. So we only got them for so long anyway, because we know that slavery wasn't really the part of the plan. So you will release them. And when you release them, do we send them away empty-handed? What's the answer? No, we don't. We load them up. Okay. So in this case, which slave really are we talking about? We're actually not talking about slaves that are part of the household of faith. We're actually talking about foreign slaves, people who have uh, escaped from their masters from another land and have journeyed to Israel. Now, why would they have journeyed to Israel? Out of all the places to escape to. There's, um, there's, there's equity, there is freedom there. They know. They That's a good right. reputation for slaves. Correct. Yeah. They have heard of the Torah of God. And they have heard that if you go to these people, slaves eventually become free anyway, right? They know that slavery was never meant to be. They know that you can get fair treatment. So the, the way that Israel is behaving is now reflecting the character of God. And if you happen to escape and you run to them, the last thing you can do is send them back. And so you don't. They join the people of God. And, uh, and so that puts Paul's letter to Onesimus in a different story because who's he talking to? He's talking to the household of faith. He's talking to a believer slave. He's not talking to the foreigner guy who escaped. He's talking to a believer who happens to be a slave, and he says, listen, you really should probably go back to your master um, and serve properly and uh, if the guy's following the Torah, you'll be set free soon enough. So be patient. And, uh, and so that puts that into a bit more of a context. 
17. None of the daughters of Israel should be cult prostitutes and none of the sons of Israel will be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord. Okay. Sorry? What does that mean, the price of a dog? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in context, the dog is the male. Okay, and it's uh, actually saying a very derogatory thing against male prostitutes. So the, the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog, right? Okay. And, yeah, and so not wanting to get too, too into the detail there, but the dog is the, is the male, male prostitute. So, guys, can we, can we as uh, uh, the Commonwealth of Israel, accept ill-gotten gain as a donation to our churches or communities. What do you think, guys? We shouldn't. I mean, let's just say from the start, there would be those people who will say, oh, no, no, that's just the Old Testament. Come on, it's all done away with. But what is the intention? What is the spirit of uh, the law? What is the danger? What was that, brother? To stop the behavior. Mm -hmm. Because when we accept it, then we encourage the people to continue in that same habit. That's also true. Yes. Instead of calling sin, sin and saying, stop that, um, we don't. What's the danger to the church if we start accepting money from these types of people? Corruption. Corruption, yeah. You will not be able to say the truth because yeah. when that is the, what is funding the church, then you realize the day you try to say the truth, you're going to end up cutting away the funding. Yeah. Yeah, we can get sometimes addicted to the money supply. And, uh, and churches have. Churches then have. Aaron, may I ask a question? Then when the Lord commanded the Israelites to go into the land, and blitz certain villages or cities, and he said you can bring back certain treasures and keep them, right? And in others he didn't. How does that apply to this? That's a good question. Well, here, this is um, uh, the the wages that, that come to the house of the Lord in payment for vows. So here we're talking about oaths, vows, and tithes. So if someone's made a vow to the Lord, um, if such and such happens, I shall pay, or um, I shall pay... Uh, for uh, various various sacrifices uh, that fulfill various vows, like other people, some people paid for Paul's vows. So you could end up paying money to fulfill vows for for people, and even not even your own own vows, but for other other people. And it becomes dangerous once the the faithful begin to accept money from the unfaithful, um, as you know, various passages will say what fellowship is like with darkness it's not that we don't ever want, not want to talk to these people we do um however as uh, shimshon said once you begin to accept money you begin to become ensnared you begin to become subservient to you begin to lose uh, your ability to to to, to to speak truth um yeah and as sharon said the money itself is unclean remember holiness is infectious and it infects people, places, and things. And so um, 
there's actually a verse in the book of Matthew that's not in our book of Matthew. What am I talking about, I hear you ask. Okay. Um, uh, in the Talmud, it discusses a uh, rabbi called Rabbi Eliezer ben Hirkanos. Ever heard of him? He's a, a rabbi who becomes a believer uh, in Jesus. And he ends up getting kicked out of the community. And uh, during his trial, they're asking him, how did you, how did this happen? You're a famous rabbi. How did you get there? And, and uh, he says, well, um, I was discussing with some of the disciples of Jesus and we were discussing what do we do with the wages of a harlot? And um, like, what can we do? Here comes a, a prostitute and she wants to give a tithe. Obviously, we've got a verse that says we can't. So what are we going to do with it? Um, she wants to give it, but we can't take it. And, uh, and the, the disciple of Jesus, the disciple of Yeshua, says, our rabbi taught us this. And uh, he says, from filth it came, from filth it must go, build a public toilet for the high priest. And, um, and so this is not... <laughs> Not in our Bible, but it's a tradition that the early believers had from Jesus where he said, well, you can't use it, so we have to use it for a public works. Not only that, we'll use it for the most nastiest of public works. Let's build a public toilet. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and Rabbi Eliezer goes, I really like that wisdom, so I've decided to become a follower of Jesus. Okay. I'm sure that wasn't exactly how it happened, um, but it's the bit that's recorded uh, in um, yeah, so we have a danger as uh, brothers and sisters. If we begin to take money from um, ill-gotten gain or even the government, okay, then we become um, subservient uh, to them. And for those of us uh, who come from institutionalised churches and communities, we know the danger, of, like in our school systems, we had independent schools that taught the word of God. We only hired believer teachers. Uh, and then what did we do? We took government money. And then what happened? We lost it. The government turned around and said, well, now that we give you our money, uh, you have to hire homosexuals. You, you have to preach evolution. You have to teach other faiths. And suddenly... What happened to our Christian schools? They look just like every other school. And, uh, and we've lost. So we have to be very careful when um, taking unclean money. And this is a lesson for the people of God. And Moses is setting it up right here in the start. Okay. Uh, continuing on with how you're supposed to behave with money, you shall not charge interest uh, on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? Interest on anything that is lent for interest. So what does that mean? You can charge foreigners interest. Okay. Does that mean that banking shouldn't exist? I mean, here we are in Israel, and i got to tell you guys, Israel, you would think it would have the best banking system in the world. It does not. Okay. Uh, yeah. You hearing me, Roddy? I hear you. Yes, they, it, it is unbelievable, the fees. And you put money in the bank and they immediately start taking it from you, don't they, Nama? 
I mean, there is, you, you put 100 shekels in the bank, you will never get 100 shekels back, okay? It just keeps dropping, dropping. You've got to put more money in there to keep the 100 shekels going. Uh, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And you scratch your head and you go, but come on, guys, you can't do this according to the Bible. But um, it's interesting that when God was, Moses, God, setting up this idealized community, this is how he would actually like the, the community to pay. You're meant to use your money for the brothers and sisters, and you are not meant to gain from it. You're meant to provide a blessing. The community is meant to gain the blessing. I give Shimshon some money. He goes and creates a business. He gives me back exactly what I lent him, no more, no less. But now he has a business. Now he is paying for his family. Now he is generating money and has something to share. Maybe in the future, he'll share it with me and my kids. And you create this, this very interesting... Uh, then, Aaron, uh, Lord Jesus said to Peter, he said, do the sons of the kingdom pay taxes, right? Yep. If I remember that. It's the same principle as exactly as you're speaking now, as if I apply this to Christianity. No Christian should be doing this, right? Right. And yet we're all doing this. So in effect, we're, we're disobeying what the Lord said, are we? We're supposed to be supporting each other, and that includes with our, with our money. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Aramaic translation of that, love the Lord your God with all your property. We're meant to, everything that we're meant to have is meant to be a service for the kingdom without us receiving interest from it. However, isn't it an interesting caveat, next verse, but you can charge a foreigner interest? <laughs> so you can make money. Of course you can. You can have a business. Of course you can. But remember to always look after the household of faith first, and um, which, you, which is what we see in the, in the New Testament as well, in Greek Bible, very same sort of, of thinking. Some commentaries that I looked at, because of the addition of the, the, the phrase, the interest on food, they, they, some commentaries said, oh, this only applies to poor. You can charge interest to rich people, but you can't charge interest to poor people. I wasn't 100% convinced with that argument, but, but if you happen to investigate some commentaries, uh, you, might, you might see those notes as well. But brothers and sisters, you and I have to, have, to, have to acknowledge that before the Lord, we have a responsibility with our money and our assets to the household of faith. And, uh, and everything that we do for the household of faith should be supportive and in no way inhibit uh, or, or seek to control or seek to um, uh, take advantage of uh, each other um, in, in relation to our uh, wealth, all of which comes from the Lord. And uh, this Go for it. Yeah, uh, but we must separate it from... Um, a business venture, like going to a bank to get a loan, the bank is going to definitely charge you a loan because that's just, um, it, it, it's seeing you as a foreigner because for in business, you're a foreigner, you're a separate entity from the bank. But um, I realized that a lot of um, families in the, in the Israel, and especially in the Jewish faith, they usually practice this in a form of um, family seed, especially for the family trade. What they do is that um, they keep some money aside for the family trade and anybody wanting to establish in the family trade, 
will use the money and return the same money back without interest and maybe um, you know, may, might do something for the family, for the future generation. But they, they keep that practice. But of course, for, for business purposes like the banking sector, then one will have to think of paying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But it, it's surprising that in, the, in the, 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 the Muslim, they have some banking system like the um, Islamic Bank, they are able to work in a lot of um, countries and they give out um, loans uh, and um, they are, they are interest-free loans. And um, um, at the time, you know, it became very controversial bringing it into Nigeria and, you know, um, but I'm, I'm surprised they're able to do it. I mean, somebody must be paying for the, for the, for the upkeep of the bank. <laughs> Yes, I'm not quite sure how they get away with it, but I'm going to ask some of my Arab friends about that. The, there is a blessing. The Lord God says, you know, if, you, uh, if you look after the household of faith, the Lord your God will bless you in your undertaking. Out of all of this chapter, um, this bit comes with the blessing, this bit here. And uh, it's in relation to how you, you use your, your wealth. And then the last bit is on the importance uh, of keeping vows. Um, which today no one keeps, right? No one takes anyone's word as a bond anymore, which is rather sad, I think. If you take, make a vow to the Lord your God, you will not delay fulfilling it. The Lord your God will surely require it of you and you'll be guilty of sin. This uh, implies something that God hears, does he not? And isn't that interesting, yeah. the words that come out of our mouth, hears. There are many passages in the scripture that talk about how, how deeply God actually hears. This passage meant, in, in this chapter, also saw that he, God sees, in verse uh, 14, God sees, if, you see, if he sees something indecent, he'll run away from you. Here it's a, it's a God hears um, I think it's in Malachi, is it, where it says, uh, if you talk one with another, God hears. And uh, God is present within that conversation. So God will listen to when, and God will require it of us, which is very interesting, that God will keep us accountable to our own words when we certainly won't even do that with each other. But God will. And you'll be guilty of a sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of a sin. Well, it's a very wise advice from the Lord. However, we will all make vows. Any of us who are married know that we have stood before God and made vows. So making vows is not evil. <clears throat> but you shall be careful to do what passes your lips. Uh, okay. Uh, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord what you have promised with your mouth. And, of course, looking at today's world, we have to acknowledge that uh, no one believes anything that anybody says anymore. Isn't that sad? Uh, we, we don't believe the news. We don't believe the radio. We don't believe, in fact, anybody who actually talks, we usually say, oh, I don't believe that. Um, <laughs> that's usually the first thing that comes out of our mouth. And it's actually really sad. But as as a holy people, as those who are um, being encouraged by Moses to form the, the community, the Commonwealth of Israel, we have to uh, uh, guard our lips, which we see, again, in Greek Bible, in New Testament. Uh, James has a very big discussion on, on uh, the power of our, of our mouth and our words and our, and our tongues. 
We in our society have unfortunately become accustomed to lies. Now, why is that? Because, guys, you and I have an enemy. And what is his greatest power? He's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And you've got to admit, he's done a really good job. He has convinced this world that nothing is true. Isn't that amazing? He's just continued to lie. He hasn't struck people dead and wiped out, you know, two billion Christians. He's just continued to lie and lie. And so much so now the world wouldn't even know what was true anymore. But, of course, you and I have the truth and we have to uh, boldly proclaim that. Uh, And I think that in this day and age, because lies are now so prevalent, truths now stand out a little more. Um, uh, Even though God says here, uh, if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Just be careful with what you say. Let us also remember that God makes oaths. Yes? Yes, he does. Acts 2 verse 30. Okay, here we are standing on uh, the courts of the temple about to proclaim um, what the heck's going on with, uh, the, with Pentecost. And Peter stands up in chapter 2, verse 30 of Acts, and he says, <clears throat> Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah. God himself swears to humans, right? Okay, and, uh, and, and then keeps his word. And as servants and followers of the Lord, we need to acknowledge that sort of behavior. Vows are not required, but if we do make them, then we should keep them. And it's interesting that in the Psalms, uh, many times when it talks about vows, the very next sentence is, and now I will praise the Lord. And so um, it often pairs vows, oaths, and praise. I don't know why, but it does. Okay. Travelers. Travelers have the right to glean. Out of all of this discussion, uh, Moses is setting up, okay, guys, Go into your neighbor's vineyard and eat what you like, okay? Um, but don't put it in your bag because that would be stealing, which is against the commandments, but you can just happily eat what you like. Same with, uh, with cutting off, off grain, okay? So what does that, how does that uh, instruct or teach the people of God about property, about your neighbor, um, about personal stuff. It's a, I always love these little laws that reveal the character of God. Here's a command where God says, okay, you have a vineyard. Whatever you do, please don't lock the front gate because if someone's really, really, really hungry, I actually like him more than I like your grapes. So you have to let him into your property and let him take your stuff for free, and I want you to be very happy with it. I'm going to give him a few rules too. He's not allowed to take advantage of your generosity uh, or your love for your fellow man, 
Um, he's not allowed to go in and start harvesting grapes and steal stuff, but he's a, he's, so this is a very interesting take on property because we are in a world, Christians included, believers included, where the first thing we do about any of our stuff <clears throat> is close the door. Um, no one's going to take my stuff, right? Um, that's, that's usually our attitude. In fact, I don't even want you to see what sort of stuff I've got, so I'm going to close the curtains. You can't even see inside my house to look at my stuff. Um, we've, 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 we've got to, I think, have a good hard look at ourselves and how we handle our property and our generosity uh, to, our, to our fellow men. This is the character of God. He, is, he says to the vineyard guy, it's great that you have a vineyard. It's absolutely fantastic. May you be blessed and grow many, many, many more grapes. By the way, I send the rain and I make the sun. You don't do that. Right? So we're in a partnership here, you and me, God and the vineyard owner. But God also likes the poor man who doesn't have a vineyard just as much as he likes the guy with the vineyard. And he, he sets up a way that allows the um, Shabbat Shalom, guys, for those that... <laughs> um, he sets up a way that the people of God will be generous. Uh, and, and, and I like your comment, Rory. That's what the government is for. Yeah, that's a, a tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> it's us. We're not going to let the government uh, be generous for us. It's me. I mean, that Roy's giving a good tongue-in-cheek there. I like the way he does that. Um, we are. As it's a very difficult. It's a very difficult concept to practice. Um, if oh, everyone just stuff. run into your vineyard and everybody have this feel of the grape of your vineyard, then you, you, you then you have nothing left. Um, you know, it's it, it kind of deal with a more ideal society where everybody is responsible and then we have people that are really in need that can come. And if we have people that, um, if you have more, more of such people that will come into the vineyard, then they're going to run down the vineyard. You're not going to get anything at the end of the day. And so how do you put the limits to everybody coming in and, you know, you know, destroying the vineyard in the name of, you know, we're just poor people just wanted to have a feel, you know, of, our, of to quench our thirst or hunger. Uh, it, it's very difficult. It is, it is difficult. However, there, is a, there are not many situations where, where uh, because they glean here in, 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 in Israel. You actually have a sign that says these are the hours for gleaning, you know, and uh, this is when you know, come in. And um, uh, people's crops are not devastated. It, uh, it, 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 it's one of our fears that this will happen. But it actually just doesn't. I know it, it, we think that it might, but it, it actually it actually doesn't. But the the spirit of the command is that we should engage in hospitality. We shouldn't shut the door to our brothers and sisters. We should acknowledge that the material possessions that we have are gifts from the Lord, and uh, we mustn't ignore our flesh and blood but we should be generous with them and so the spirit of the of the of the of the law is is a generosity one so even if you don't have a vineyard even if you don't have a field of crops you can still 
maintain this uh, this spirit in our in the community. This this entire chapter is about holiness. This entire chapter acknowledges that a holy God lives inside his community and his community has to act like it. They act like it through hospitality. They act like it through generosity. They act like it because they will welcome the slave, the guy who, 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 who fled paganism, who fled abuse and ran for shelter. You know, we're going to bring them in. Um, it, we acknowledge foreigners who, who God has a plan for. You know the Egyptians and the Edomites, um, and uh, and there are and even even down to going to the bathroom. You know, I'm a holy god. Don't do that in front of me. You know, um, you know who do you think you are? Go do your business. You know, and uh, then get over here. I want you back and uh, nice and clean and good looking and dressed well and let's have a let's talk together. Um, and then that characteristic of holiness will reflect outward to the, the outside world. Um, this is the ideal uh, that Moses is wanting the children of Israel to be, and this is the ideal that is still relevant today and, uh, and, and, and should be as part of our, as best that we can, part of our community. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Great. I will... Click stop. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Um, we actually got through a whole chapter. Awesome. Okay, great. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you. And blessings from the city of the king.